We are Lone Star 187. Two sisters that love listening to true crime podcasts and decided to give this shit a try. Since we are Texas through and through, we will be researching murders across our Lone Star state. 187 is slang for the penal code for homicide. Since police codes are unique by city and county, we decided to simply use something that most people would get. We know this code isn't specific to Texas, but hey, we like it and it's our podcast, so we do what we want. Lone Star 187 most definitely contains elements that are not suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Unit heading out to that disturbance exit in a vehicle. Go ahead and reduce but continue. Reduce but continue at once. Case file 57, The Luby's Massacre. And we're back. We're back. Yes, we are. Did you say Luby's? Yes. I love Luby's. No one was happier than mom, I think, when we, she found out the one in Plano was not closing. The story's weird because it is tying two things together. We just had lunch, not at this specific one, but at a Luby's last weekend. And the town in which this happened, we have family that lived there. So where are we going? Ask. Wait, first of all, who are you? Who are you in my house? Who are you up here um, all up in my microphones? Well, I'm Brittany. And I'm Carrie. And together, we are Lone Lone Star Star 187. Yes. Back again for another awesome episode. Do you know your glasses are crooked? Yeah, they're broken. (laughs) Okay. Why don't you wear the other ones that are in here? Because these are comfortable. Maybe it's my, maybe my head's crooked. Are they real bad? I mean, sometimes. It's okay. Go ahead. Continue. About that. About Better. That? Yeah. Okay. Do I have mad brow? No. No. So don't look at my glasses. <laughs> I have to have them or I can't see to read my document. You want to have me get a Not your document. Oh, much better. And these are so much more comfortable. Where are we going? Yeah. How far do, am I in? In my DeLorean, where am I going? You're not going that far. You're going to Colleen, Texas. Oh, dang. A lot of murders Which happen is, there. I know. There's a lot of shit. In fact, we should probably do an entire episode of just shit that happens in Colleen. For real. It's a lot. It's a lot. Because I know our cousin Jamie lives there, and she's always posting shit about this shootout, that shootout. Okay, so a little about Colleen. It is 174 miles south. Right now, the population is 145,000. But back when this happened, which was back in 1991, there was only 66,000. So um, it's directly, Colleen is directly adjacent to the military quarters of Fort Hood. Mm -hmm. Um, And Fort Hood is the majority of the, it's a major employer for people that live there. So like more than probably, probably three quarters of population work at uh, Fort Hood. There are some notable people from Colleen. I don't know that you're going to recognize the names, but it, uh, one of them is, um, he was a running back for the Houston Oilers. I'm already lost. And the Baltimore Colts. His name was Don Hardiman. Uh, another football player, Tommy Harris. He played for the Chicago Bears and San Diego Chargers. He was a defensive tackle. And then a NASA, an astronaut, Shane Kimbrough. So those are just a few people. There's also another really famous serial, not really famous, but there's also a serial killer from there, but I don't remember his name, Charles something. It's not summer right now when we're in the story, which is odd. Our last one wasn't summer either. So winter. what we've proven is the majority of them happen in the summer, but some of them actually don't. Well, last one I feel like was premeditated in the summer, so it kind of worked. Agreed. Uh, this one wasn't, but this was a Wednesday. Ooh, this is coming up on an anniversary. So this happened on Wednesday, October the 16th. So they someone was mad that there was no more turkey and dressing. So... <laughs> I mean, he was mad, but it wasn't about the turkey and dressing. Okay. So it's approximately... I, mean, I would be mad, because that's what I get every they time do I go. Have really, I always just get the fried chicken and mashed potatoes, because they're really, really good. Oh, get the turkey and dressing on the Luan with mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese with a side of okra. Their fish is good, too. Their fish is good. And those rolls. Oh, my God. And I'm not even hungry, but it Me sounds either. good. Okay. So it's almost 1 o'clock in the afternoon. This also happens to be National Bosses Day. So there are a lot of people in Luby's having lunch right now. Are they all fighting over who's the boss? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, but Tony, no, because you know who wins that one? Tony Danza. Hold me close to Tony Danza. 
That's terrible. Please, please, producer, cut that out. Don't cut it out. Okay. Thousands upon thousands of 911 calls start coming into the clean dispatch. There's a shooting over at Luby's. He's driving a pickup. He's still inside. They're shooting. They're shooting. They're shooting. People that were standing around the area, because where Luby's is, there's like a little kind of strip mall thing kind of behind it. Mm -hmm. So the people that are outside are thinking, oh my God, this must have been an accident. But... After they start hearing gunshots, they realize this wasn't an accident. A guy by the name of George Hennard drove his fucking truck through the front window of the Luby's cafeteria at 1705 East Central Expressway in Colleen. Not our Central Expressway, in Colleen. After he crashed in, he opened his door, opened fire on people inside with a Glock 17 pistol. Later on, he used a different pistol, a Ruger P89. Oh, shit. So he just gets out and he starts shooting at people in the serving line. He's so just like, he boom, like boom, 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 boom. Caught all these people by surprise, knowing they were gonna look right because he caused a commotion. So everybody he, looks and he's like, just he un- unloads. He just hauls at like when you see the pictures later on, his truck is inside the fucking restaurant. He didn't just like crash the window and stop. He drove his truck until something caused his truck to stop. He gets out and he just starts. He loads and he's just like. Boom, boom, boom. He just starts shooting people point blank range. Since it was boss's day, there were over 100 people in there. The, the witnesses that survived said that he just kept reloading and he seemed very calm. He he yelled, as he got out of his truck, he yells, all women of Colleen and Belton are vipers. This is what you've done to me and my family. This is what Bell County did to me. This is payback. So what is a viper? A snake. A viper? Like a, yeah. yeah it's so a, women are, he's saying all the women mm-hmm. there are snakes? Mm-hmm. So he just keeps repeating this while he's continuing to reload and shoot and reload and shoot. God bless. He looked at one woman, called her a bitch, shot her. He saw another woman hiding under a bench near the serving line and said, oh, you're hiding from me, bitch? Then shoots her. So is he mainly only shooting women? Primarily women. There are men that got shot, but he was. it seemed to be that he was targeting women. It was more women. I'm not, I'm not from here. I'm from out of town. Yeah, I don't live here. I'm, I'm actually a man dressed in woman's clothing. I identify as a man today. Oh, shit. <laughs> he approached a woman with baby and said, you with a baby, get out before I change my mind. Mm. So she gets the hell out I of there. I bet she was never happier to be. Oh, my God. Mom. Oh, my God. So with the city at that point being too small to handle such a chaotic scene, they called in the military for help. So the military sends helicopters that are landing on the freaking access road to help get these people out. Colleen and Colleen was very thankful for Fort Hood helping out because they also have a network of psychological counselors who rushed in to assist with all of the the, the aftermath. And what they were say, that what they said is that psychological people and all the extra manpower they had at Fort Hood was there because of Desert Storm. They expected the chaos from Desert Storm to be worse than it was. Mm-hmm. So all of those people were still at Fort Hood because of that. But as it turned out, the community lost twice as many people in this rampage as it did in the entire Gulf War. Oh, my God. And at this time, which was 91, it was considered the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. And it kept that one until the Virginia Tech one, which I think was seven. I think that was 98. Maybe it was 2000s. So this one at the time, this was the worst one. But it's crazy how. It's been 1991, and now we've had so many that I don't even know that Virginia Tech is the is the Vegas one now. I think the top the, one. I think so. I don't know how many lives this was 2023, 20, including the gunman. But anyway, so even as police arrive and they start firing at this George guy, he kept on shooting. He actually shot towards the cops eventually before going off. So you know inside Luby's how they have the little foyer that you go into to go to the the bathrooms? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He went into that foyer and shot himself in the head. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, One person inside the cafeteria ended up breaking a window with a chair. I also heard with a table because there's a lot of footage. Like, be careful, listeners. There are crime scene photos that you can't unsee. Like, I'm seeing it right now. I'm not going to post it when we post the other pictures, but there are crime scene photos of people. So just be prepared. So, and there's also a lot of video footage from news anchors. So there's a lot of video out there on this, but, um, so one video said that he broke one, one video said the guy jumped out of the window using his body. One video said that he used a chair and one set a table. Regardless, there was a window broken and a lot of people jumped out 
So one of the craziest stories out of this whole nightmare is that this 19-year-old employee spent 20 hours inside of the cafeteria dishwasher. He said he thought he heard, first he thought someone had dropped a stack of plates because he heard the glass breaking. And then he heard gunshots. So he said, initially I ran to the back door, but then I thought, what if the gunman's waiting outside? So then I, then I went back to the kitchen and decided to hide behind the dishwasher. But then I thought, well, shit, he can see me. So I climbed inside of it and a load of dishes had just come out. So it's not like a dishwasher like we have. It's those kind that when you open, when you pull it down, it like opens up real big. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. And it's got the conveyor belt in there. Yeah, so yeah. it wasn't like a tiny one. So he had room. So he climbed inside. And so it was hot in there because a load of dishes had just finished. So it was hot and that belt keeps hitting him. He, he's, he hides, hides in there. He can hear footsteps all around him. He hears someone close the door. He hears sirens. And then it gets quiet. So he thought, oh shit, they're hold he's still here and they're holding people hostage. So he does not open his mouth. He does not get out. He just stays in there. Then he knows it's the next day because he's been in there for a long time. The manager found him. The manager opened it and saw him, but they thought he was dead because he did not move. He was so scared. An officer like reached to check his pulse and he thought, okay, a gunman's not going to check my pulse. So then that's when he opened his eyes. Oh my God. And they're like, oh my God, you're alive. And he was all bruised from the conveyor belt continuing to hit him. But that poor guy stayed in the, the dishwasher. They said he was in there for 20 hours. Oh my God. Can you imagine being so scared? They take him to the hospital and on his way, he's asking, is, any, is everybody okay? What happened? Only then do they tell him what happened, how many people got shot and what that. How lucky that he got, is. How lucky so he is. So his instinct was right, at least for a while. To stay in Not the Not the 18 hours, maybe the first couple. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd be, I don't know what I would do. Um, I would be more afraid, like, what if he starts shooting and I get shot and I'm in here and nobody knows I'm in here. Yeah, you I don't know. know. I, it's easy to say now, yeah. like, what I think I would do. I don't know. I, don't I, I honestly but don't know. But it's very know. clever. Clever of him to find a place to hide, that people can see him so much so that when the, because I mean, it, it took them a long time to get all the bodies out. I'm sure. I mean, they had to process the scene, get all the bodies out, and then they had to get the guy's truck out. Then they had to like close it for the night and come back the next morning. So there was a lot going on. And so he was in there for a while. Poor guy. They did an autopsy on him because they're thinking maybe he was on drugs. Maybe this was like fueled by alcohol. Mm -hmm. No drugs, no alcohol, no signs of any brain damage, brain tumors, nothing like that. It confirmed, the autopsy confirmed that he died from a gunshot wound to the head. He didn't have any, he wasn't on drugs, he wasn't drunk, he didn't have any mental disabilities. Isn't it, isn't it crazy how times have changed? Like they were, they in 91 this massacre happens, right? And they're like, oh, there has to be something wrong with his brain or there has to be drugs. And now it's like, oh, another person shot. Like today... They were shooting it. I was going to say that. It's, it's crazy how I'm just drawn to stories. Because when I started uh, the night before, I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And I'd been watching 40, 48 hours all day. And there are a lot of stories in Dallas, but they just didn't like. They're not different. They didn't speak to me. Yeah. Like, I know when I find the right story, I know because mm -hmm. it speaks to me. Yeah. I did some Googling and this came up and I was like, oh, wow, I've not ever covered that. So then I was like, okay, so there's a time where we just ate at Luby's and our cousin lives in Colleen. And then this morning I wake up and mom comes back from cleaning and she's like, did you hear that there was a shooting at Mansfield High School? And I was like, what? So yeah, you're right. It's, and and it, how many we've had since then? It's, it's it's like, now it's just like, oh, well, they, they got mad or whatever and pulled a gun. But then they're like, surely there's something wrong with this guy. Like maybe he has cancer in his brain or a tumor or he's or, high or something. Like that has to explain this. And now it's just like. It, happens. it just happens. People snap. So several days later, the people are beginning the sad and drawn out process of planning funerals because you think about it, 23 people. So 20, 22, really. 23 includes him. So 23 people are having to plan. Um, Medical examiner, I'm sure, was oh my gosh. working overtime. So of course, it's, it's very personal. It's unbelievable. It was unexpected. The records clerk at the medical examiner's office um, they, they go the, let me cite my sources. This is primarily from, um, the, the newspaper, Colleen, oh, I don't remember what it's called. The Colleen newspaper, some Fort Worth Star-Telegram, um, some of it from Murderpedia. Uh, there's also a Texas Monthly article on it. So I got a little bit from there and there is a document. They said that there was an episode of this on I Survived, but I couldn't find it. Okay. And probably one of the surviving victims probably did it, but I couldn't figure out which one it was. It said... 
it was in 2012, but I looked on there and I just couldn't find it. And at this point, I was this was like 11:45 last mm-hmm. night, and I was done. So there is an episode of I Survived, but I couldn't find it. So that's all of my um, where I got my information. The they go the Colleen people go and interview the medical examiner lady, and she's like, "Well, all of my victims are gone except for one. He's got a mother and a father, and for some reason, they're opting not to pick up his body." It was a gunman. If no one claims a body, Bell County will bury him as a pauper. But later on, his father called and said, my family and I are in the process of making arrangements. We do plan to have a funeral. We do care about our dead son, so we will be picking him up soon. So I think maybe his family saw the article calling them out and then decided to make a phone call to say, we are coming to get our son. We just haven't made it yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you kind of see some stuff that's going on? Okay. So this happened on the 16th of October. October 31st. Jenna Hennard, who was George's mom, uh, makes a phone call to the Colleen Daily Herald. That's what it's called. And how old was he? He was 35. Okay, so he's a young guy. It's not like he was... Yeah, like... 30. And that, because he just turned 35, because the day before this happened, it was his birthday. Oh, dang. He's, yeah. She calls into the Colleen Daily Herald and says, I've prepared a statement that I want to read to you that I want you to print in the newspaper. So they're like, okay. So she breaks down into tears describing the emotional pain that she's endured since her son committed suicide. She says, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm not only crying for Jojo, which is what they call them, but for all of those people. I would like to express my sorrow and empathy for those who are, as am I, suffering through this most horrible and painful loss. Words cannot adequately convey my deepest regrets nor alleviate the dreadful pain we all feel. God only knows the circumstances and reasons that cause things like this to happen. We must not lose our faith and love. I want to express as best I can my devastation and ask that you please forgive my son. From my heart, Jojo's mother, Jenna. She feels bad. Okay. I mean, we Fair can't enough. blame. No. She, he did she this. didn't do it. He did it. That's He's right. He's a completely willing and able adult that chose to do it. He did also have a sister. Her name is Desiree. She apologized but denied that he was driven by a hatred of women. Okay, Desiree. <laughs> and she okay. said that her family had no idea what drove her brother to kill. So let's talk a little bit about George Hennard. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah. So his his father is also named George, and his father was an orthopedist. His mother, as we know, her name is Gloria Jean, but everybody called her Jean. And she, he had a younger brother named Alan and a younger sister named Desiree. But their family was shuttled all around the country because... His father worked for Army hospitals. Okay. So that's why they were in Fort Hood and why they were shuffled around. Early in his life, everybody looked up to Jojo, but that all changed when he got into a fight with his father, who had a really bad reputation for being a hard ass. After the fight, Jojo came to school and it looked like he had been mauled. It looked like his old man had taken a butcher knife and cut his hair. He was never the same after that. After that, he kept to himself. He was never seen with girls. He didn't hang around with anybody. And his parents didn't seem to care and were hardly ever around. He was always, almost always by himself. After he graduated from high school in 74, he joined the Navy. And three years later, joined the Merchant Marine, working mostly in the Gulf of Mexico until 1981, where he set out on the first of 37 overseas voyages. He was very meticulous, always cleaning his truck or the yard, and would cuss at garbage men for leaving litter on his lawn. (laughs) Get off my lawn! So in May of of 89, he was discharged from the Merchant Marine for possession of marijuana and racial, many racial indictments. Okay? Ganja. They, uh, and I wasn't really sure, so I, the Merchant Marine primarily transports cargo and passengers during peacetime, but during the time of war, they can be an auxiliary to the U.S. Navy and can be called upon to deliver military personnel and material for the military. So they're like an (laughs) import-export. Got it. Okay. So during that same month, in where were we? May of 89, Mm -hmm. Hennard's papers, they called him his seaman papers, but you know, he's in the Navy. He's okay. a sea man. And okay. I even put, not that kind, sister. <laughs> um, they were suspended after you know he, well. he had another racial argument with another shipmate. A shipmate? Ship, 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 shipmate. Did I say shipmate? It sounded like shipmate. Go I back probably, and listen whenever shipmate. you edit. Shipmate. Sh- shipmate. Ship, shipmate. It probably, I probably did. His other, the other, you know, his coworker. Ship, his ship worker. 
he said numerous reports included accounts of him expressing how much he hated women. He said women were snakes and always had derogatory remarks about them, especially after fights with his mother. Adding to that, some of the survivors of the Luby's massacre said that while he was shooting, he would pass over men to shoot women. Uh, and as a matter of fact, 14 of the 23 people killed were women. And as many of, were, so most of the wounded were also women. So in 1990, Hennard called Ike R. Williams, who was an agent for the National Maritime Union in Wilmington, California. He, this is who he needs to call to reinstate his papers. Okay. Okay. So he calls and asks for a letter of recommendation so that he can get back in the Merchant Marine. Uh, and of course, Williams denied it. He was like, no. Later in mid-February, he entered a drug treatment program in Houston. Soon after he got out, he purchased those two guns that he used. He purchased a Ruger P89 and a Glock 17, which are the two that he used. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in this tower he lived, which is, you've heard of Belton, right? Mm -hmm. It's on his one. Mm -hmm. He lived in Belton. There were two sisters that lived in his neighborhood, and he started stalking them. He stalked them and made catcalls at them. He even sent them a letter, part of which said, Please give me the satisfaction of someday laughing in the face of all those mostly white, treacherous female vipers from those two towns, Colleen and Belton, who tried to destroy me and my family. He also wrote that he was truly flattered knowing that I have two teenage groupie fans. He thought they really wanted him as much as he wanted He sure says a lot to not say anything. Yeah. So the mother of the daughters took the letter to Belton police, but of course got little response. It's a letter. What can they do? Mm -hmm. Um, Then she called the girl's dad, who was the administrator of a hospital in Tennessee. So he showed the letter to one of the staff psychiatrists there who labeled the letter an indication of, of obsessive infatuation with the two young women. I feel like they should have at least started watching him, but that's just me. Because how old was he at this time? He's like, in his 30s. He's yeah, 35. he's past the point that it's... It's not immaturity no, anymore. It's no. harassment at that point. Yeah. And if that had been my daughter's, I'd be like, okay, some bitch, step on my yard again. Mm-hmm. Mail yeah, me some more how shit. how old were the girls? I have a picture of them. They're probably early early 20s, maybe, yeah. maybe even 19. Yeah, back off. Barely adults. He needs to back off. Yeah. So about a month before the shootings, Hennard goes into a convenience store in Belton and tells the clerk... He leans over to the clerk and said, I want you to tell everybody, if they don't quit messing around my house, something awful is going to happen. What was happening around his house? Some damn garbage men are leaving trash, actually. I don't really know. I think he was one of those Were paranoid they people. that garbage thought, women? Probably. No, he probably would have liked that. They probably could have left. No. No, no I think no. he just hated women. I think, I think he, he thought all women were like his mother and he just hated them. Mm-hmm. I think like, like a psycho kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So a week and a half before the shooting, Hennard, he was working at a cement company. So he goes into Copper's Cove to get his last check and tell, or to get his check and tells them that he's quitting. And as he was walking out, he wondered aloud, what would happen if he killed someone? He told people that as he was walking out, some of the people in Belton and certain women had been giving him problems and that he, sh- that everybody should watch and see what happens. So it seems like he's doing this in different areas. So not, none of the areas um, overlap, so they didn't know it was a pattern. Maybe. You know, like yeah. if I go into a store and someone says something odd, I'm like, well, that's odd, right? And I reported to Frisco police, right? And then he he goes to Carrollton and does something weird, and they report it to Carrollton police, but Carrollton and Frisco don't talk, right? That's a good point. You I know, it's kind of like, you know, when they have those crimes where there'll be like multiple rapes, but there'll be far enough away that the two counties don't talk so they don't know, know it's a pattern i bet that's what he was doing is he was doing it in enough areas that it wasn't there people would either blow it off like oh he's crazy yeah. and not say anything you know i think it's a situation where some people were afraid of him mm-hmm. and especially if you're a woman you weren't going to say anything right because you don't know what he's capable of no. and it's better just to ignore him than to get in a fight with him big crazy or the, yeah he was 35 at the time so the day of his birthday 35th birthday, which was October 15th, 1981, he spoke with his mom on the phone. He, laid, called, her, he called her a viper. It doesn't say that. It just said he did. <laughs> He's he like, did, hi, mom, the viper. How he are did you? talk to her on the phone. And later that evening, while eating a cheeseburger and french fries outside of Belton, and, he, and before I say the rest of this, he must have been sitting like outside where there's a TV. Because he's outside eating and he's also watching TV because he's commenting on something that's on the TV and other people can see. So maybe he was at a sports bar 
or one of those places that have outdoor seating where mm -hmm. you can see the TVs. Because he had a certain outburst of rage as he watched the television coverage of the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings. And when Anita Hill came on, he just went off and started screaming, you dumb bitch, you bastards open the door for all the women. So he's saying this out in public where everybody oh can God. hear him. And this was the day before it happened. This is an odd tie-in and I read it several times. So I thought I would add it. During, in, in 1991, there was a movie that came out called The Fisher King that starred Robin Williams. Have you seen it? Mm -mm. I haven't either. Robin Williams was nominated for an Oscar and a Golden Globe for his portrayal of a man who went mad after his wife was murdered before his eyes in a restaurant shooting. This movie had been playing in the area for weeks before Hennard went on his shooting rampage. It eerily resembles what happened. Um, and the newspapers, now I didn't get confirmation, but the newspapers reported that the police found a movie ticket stub from the Fisher King and some of his belongings at his apartment. Mm. I only read that in one newspaper, so I don't know if that's fabricated because they want it to match up or not. Reacting to the massacre in 1995, the Texas legislature passed a shall issue, that's in quotes, gun law that allows Texans with required permit to carry concealed weapons. Mm -hmm. Remember, this is in 95. The law was sponsored by Susanna Gracia Hupp, who was present at Luby's the day this happened and lost both her parents. She was elected to the Texas House of Representatives and pushed this law through. The sucky part about this is the day it happened, she had a licensed handgun in her car, but there was no law that allowed her to bring it into the restaurant. So can you imagine being in a restaurant, seeing somebody shooting, knowing you have a gun in your car and you can't go get it and mm. use it inside, and you watch your parents die? Mm. Isn't that crazy? She believes she may have been able to save her parents and many other victims if she had been able to bring it in with her. She said, my parents died because of what gun laws do. Well, don't worry. It's fixed now. It's definitely fixed now, lady. So Governor George W. Bush became part of this movement to allow us to obtain permits to carry concealed weapons. But she was instrumental in making that happen. Good job. What happened to the Lubies? Let me just tell you. It closed, of course, so they could clean up and they did a redesign of the front wall. So they basically made it part brick and window so that it wasn't all one big window. Mm -hmm. They struggled throughout the following years and finally shut down in September of 2000. So now it's a Chinese American buffet called Yank Sing. Mm -hmm. okay. and it, But it's ranked one of the top buffets in Central Texas area. I have a picture of it. So his mom and dad divorced and his dad was here and his mom was in Vegas. So he would go visit her now and then. So she lived in Vegas and her dad, his dad was somewhere else. So him and his sister lived in this giant mansion in Belton, but his parents were also trying to sell the mansion, but him and his sister lived there. So that's the place that he was keeping very meticulous and was pissed off if they got any trash in the yard. Mm -hmm. The cops went to go look at the house, you know, search the house and they found a letter that Hennard had written to his sister Desiree and it said Desiree. Enclosed is $100 to cover the water and electric bill. Do not pay the phone bill. <laughs> I am responsible for it. Southwestern Bell violated my privacy rights. Therefore, they do not get paid. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't let the people in this rotten town get to you like they done to me. Take care of yourself and be strong. Love you, Brother Jojo. Now, that makes me want to cry. Now we're going to get into some of the survivors mm -hmm. talking about like this is years later and they're talking about their experience one of the survivors his name is sam wink was eating with six other people when hennard's truck came hauling ass about eight feet away from where he was sitting he said talked about this over the years and i've tried to put it behind me and i really just want to go on with my life um, another survivor hazel holly um, she broke her arm escaping through a broken window she refuses to say his name but says, I have never felt anger toward that man, only pity. My sympathy goes to his family, but I'm glad he's dead. I tend to think people get what they deserve, and he got what he deserved. Fair enough. And she said, every time I see a mass shooting on TV, I struggle because it causes me to relive everything on that, that entire day. I relive it every single time. When an, another survivor, Kelly Fitzwater, actually saw two women get shot in the head that day. And she said, it, watching other mass shootings bring back all the bad memories. 
for me and all the loved ones that lost. She said, uh, my husband and I were there that day having lunch. They were in the serving line when Hennard smashed through the window. Her husband told her to get on the floor. She said, why? Is that guy here to rob us? He goes, no, he's here to kill us. So after that all happened, they started going to group therapy, group sessions where it was a giant group of survivors and those that lost loved ones there so that they had that, you know, they had that tragedy in common. Mm -hmm. And she said they all realized that the more they talk about and, and talked about it with each other, the better they felt. But she said it took her and her husband almost a decade to get over it. I'm sure. That's scary. Do you, you probably don't ever want to go back into another restaurant. No, and like can, it's just like the with the Vegas shooting, like people like I know I know you're not a country fan, but Jason Aldean was on stage when it happened. Yeah, I remember. And that. he was like, I had a hard he I'm he sure. wanted to go back on tour, but he's like, I I feel like I feel guilty. I'm sure he feels for, responsible. Yeah, because I couldn't. Help. I had a safe place to go. These people that mm-hmm. paid money to come see me and all of our they colleagues, were ducks. they were just out there. But I had a safe place to go. You know, even though they didn't know where the violence was coming from at right. the time. But, you know, he was able to get away and he's like having another concert. Number one brings it back. But also, what if I put my fans at risk again? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think know? it would fuck me up big time. Big time. Um, so these are some of the interesting things that I thought that I read that made, I could have put them up where they're more applicable, but I thought they were interesting. So they said Hennard had practiced firing his handguns at the Fort Hood civilian pistol range in the weeks before his rampage. One of the guys that worked at the place called investigators because he was convinced that Hennard was dangerous. And this was before it happened. The guy that saw Hennard using the guns at the firing range was like, this guy's dangerous. I don't know. I guess he called cops and they had him talk to an investigator, but still nothing happened. So this is the woman calling the cops about her daughters. And then this guy in Fort Hood calling and saying, this guy looks dangerous. Guys, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So evidently he was also in a band. Hennard was in a band. Called the Vipers. No, called the Missing Link, (laughs) which made me think of Encino Man. Yeah. So they interviewed the band members and they told lieutenants that Hennard would tell them he felt like he was on a list, um, on a list in Belton that kept, that prevented him from getting a job. The band member added, I think that's why he chose Luby's on Boss's Day, to get even about not getting a job. Damn. Now that, that is, along with being pissed at the world, that spoke volumes to me right yeah. there. Like mm-hmm. that, that is more motive than the other anything mm-hmm. else. That's why I chose a busy place. That's why I chose the day he chose. Mm-hmm. All you people in here that have a job and there's more women in here, that probably pissed him off even more, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even though some of those women may not even have jobs. Like that one woman that was there with her husband, she mm-hmm. could have just met him when he was working. She could have just mm-hmm. been a housewife. This is another thing. So he attempted to file a civil rights complaint with the FBI. Are you ready for this? I'm glad you're sitting down. Alleging that he was being followed by white women who had banded together in a nationwide conspiracy against him. He told FBI officials in Las Vegas that women prevented that women prevented others from dating him and he couldn't find a job because the unnamed white women would contact potential employers and provide negative information to them about me. So what did you and mom do to him? <laughs> it's a jolly part of this nationwide sting this, against him. This guy. Oh my God. I said something earlier about him watching the Fisher King. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, whether or not he did, the police found in his house, they found several tapes, uh, videotapes of mass murder including a program on the 1984 massacre at the McDonald's in San Ysidro, California. Mm-hmm. They also found a desk pad on which he had written, and they shall live with what they have created and curse Belton. Dang, he is f- filled with hate. Um, he also, this is crazy, he tried to sell the guns to some of his band members in the month before the massacre. Maybe he was trying to get out of it. I think maybe there's there's a part of me that started thinking... Maybe he was asking for help, yelling and cursing and yelling at people and telling him what he's going to do. It's like he's asking, please help me. But don't help me. Help me, no, but let me do what I want to do. Help. No, I feel like, like no one, if he'd been arrested, that wouldn't have happened. I'm no, not maybe saying not it's then, the but eventually it would have. Maybe, but we don't know that. Like, I think he was too, he had way too much hate. He was going to. It was going to come out eventually. Because he never dealt with it. I mean, he's 35 and he has that much hate. That yeah. is years of hate. Uh, and I would years like to know what his mother did to him. 
And what other so, women did, like he didn't have a girlfriend, but he wasn't clearly, divorced. But I, he must not have had a very good relationship with his sister either because they live in the same house. But they, they nobody talks about seeing them out together. They're, it's like this family that was always apart. Like you don't, you didn't see them be a family. Mm -hmm. The dad was always working. The mom was in Vegas. The sister was there, but he was always by himself. Mm -hmm. So it's weird. Like the dynamic, the family dynamic there is fucked up. And I'm sure that contributed as I'm well. Sure, yeah. So maybe his sister was real mean to him too. I don't know. Maybe he um, just never felt loved. Maybe. And so all he knew was hate. And and whatever his dad did to him when he beat him up, something something switched maybe in that guy's brain. Maybe his mom watched it happen and didn't do anything. Maybe. Or maybe and his sister. Maybe too. he begged his mom for help and she didn't do anything or didn't stop it. And so she he's like, "You white women are a bunch of assholes." Mm -hmm. You know. So there is a pink granite memorial that. Um, they created it's in it's behind the Colleen Community Center. It's got the date of the event and all of the names of the people that were killed. And we'll post a picture of it. Be, I don't want to. I have the victim list. I have their name, their age, where they lived, and a little bit about them. Because I figure if we're going to go with this in depth on the murderer, the victims deserve some time too. Agreed. This is why I wasn't ready because I went through this last night, but then. I started noticing some discrepancies in the the address, the age and the city. So I went back. I went to the internet. I would type the name, find a grave, and I would look at their obituary, and I would gather information, and I would fix the city and fix the age. So where wherever I got the initial list, the names are right, but some of the stuff was wrong. So we're going to go through the victims list, okay? Okay. So the first victim I have is, now these are in no particular order, by the way, uh, Patricia Braun Carney. She was 57. She was from Belton. She was the director of the elementary curriculum for the Cleburne Independent School District. She was technically her husband's boss. <laughs> he was working as a truant officer oh, at I the bet, time. I bet that's something that George really hated. Yeah. He knew. She was married with one son and two daughters. Jimmy Eugene Carruthers of Austin, 48. He was a contract specialist for 26 years with the Department of Human Services Child Protective Services. He was married with two daughters. This makes me want to cry. Crimehild A. Davis. Or maybe it's K-R-I-E-M-H-I-L-D. Crimhald? Crimhald A. Davis. Colleen, Texas, 62. Uh, she was married. She was a retired dental therapist, having worked in the civil service for 22 years. Her nickname was Kitty. and mm. uh, She was married with two sons and three daughters. So they had a big family. So look at how many people right there were devastated yeah. by this. A husband, sons, daughters. Okay. Next we have Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Charles Doty of Fort Hood, 43. He was a Lieutenant Colonel who was awarded the National Defense Service Medal, Armed Forces Reserve Medal, Army Service Ribbon, Republic of Vietnam Campaign Medal, Republic of Vietnam Cross of Gallantry with Palm, and the Senior Army Aviator Badge. Goodness. Yes. Thank you. Very for your decorated. Service. Yes. Jeez. He was married with three sons and one daughter. Al Gracia. Gratia. So this is that girl, the one that went into the Texas House of Representatives mm -hmm, to help. Mm -hmm. This is her dad. Seventy one, Copper's Cove. He and his wife died together that day. And I wanted to say this part. So there is a documentary. It's not like a from a, like a well-known channel. It's just like a documentary that someone on the internet made. What they said was that when the daughter got out, she went off running and she was trying to get her mom to come with her, but her mom would not go because Al was shot. So her mom went back to where the dad was, stayed there with him, knowing that she would end up getting shot. So she chose to be with her husband and didn't leave with her daughter. Damn. He was the owner of a heavy equipment company and served in the U.S. Army and the U.S. US Air Force and was a veteran of World War II. He had one son and two daughters. Now, Ursula, the one that decided to go back with her husband, this woman, listen to everything that she did. Oh, my God. Wait, Ursula, who is she? Ursula is Al's wife. Oh, okay. Ursula, okay. so it was Al and Ursula, and then their daughter, what was her name? She was an executive, okay, she was 67, also lived in Copper's Cove. She was an executive secretary for Boeing Aircraft Aerospace, a manager for her husband's heavy equipment business, and an office manager for her daughter's chiropractic office. Damn. This She's woman. Me. Yeah, she was busy. <laughs> and then we have Deborah Ann Gray, who was only 33, also from Copper's Cove. She was employed with TU Electric for 10 years. She was married with one son. 
Now we have a doctor, Michael Edward Griffith, 48 of Copper's Cove. Um, he was a veterinarian in the Hill Country. No. He was a veterinarian with Hill County Animal Hospital in Copper's Cove. He was married with two sons and one daughter. And now we have Venice Ellen Hennahan of, of Metz, Missouri. She was 70. She was a member of St. Bridget's Catholic Church. She was married with four sons and one daughter. Um, now we have Claudine Delphia Humphrey of Marlin, Texas. She was 63. This makes me really sad. I could not find any obituary or anything on her. And even I do have a picture that I will upload of all the victims, like all of them in one giant picture. And even at the bottom, it has several not pictured, and she's one of them. So I don't know Maybe she just was who just she alone. was there with or what. I don't know, but there's... there's. Well, I, I see people. I've seen many people at Luby's Eat by themselves. True. So then we have Sylvia Mathilde King, 30, of Colleen. She owned and operated Sylvia's Lime Tree Hair Fashions in Colleen. She was a member of the Greater Colleen Chamber of Commerce, the Texas Cosmetology Board, uh, she was an active supporter of the JCs and the Texas Department of Human Services. So you see a little bit of similarities and you can kind of put together who was with who, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then we have Zona May Lynn of Austin. She was 65. She was married with one son and one daughter. They didn't talk about anything in her career. So maybe she was just a stay-at-home mom. That's a job in itself. Now we have Connie Dean Peterson, 41 of Austin. She was married with two children and was a very successful chiropractor. So I wonder if she was with the, the, doctor. the other doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, Ruth Marie Pujol, P-U-J-O-L. Mm -hmm. Pujol. She was married with two daughters and one son. She worked with the Colleen Independent School District as a Chapter 1 PAC coordinator and was a member of the Aggie Mom. So I wonder if she was with the other Colleen. The Cleburne, the Cleburne High School. Or the, all, the any, Cleburne. Anybody from the school district. So then we have Suzanne Neil Rashad, 36, of Kempner, Texas. She was married with one daughter. She was a clerk for TU Electric, so I bet she was with the other TU Electric mm -hmm. clerk. Uh, we have Captain John Raymond Romero, Jr., 39, of San Antonio. He was a captain in the U.S. Air Force that served four years as an aircraft navigator. Next, we have Thomas Earl Simmons, 33, of Copper's Cove. He was married with two daughters. He was a manager of the Colleen Walmart Automotive Department. Then we have Glenn Avril Spivey, 55 of Colleen. He had one son. He was an electronics repairman for Lexford Property Management of Colleen. He previously worked for General Dynamics in Fort Worth for 14 years. Hmm. Next, we have Nancy Faye Stansberry, 44 of Harker Heights, Texas. She was married with two sons. She was the assistant director of the Chapter 1 program for the Colleen Independent School District and had been with the district for 19 years. Now we have Olgika and Dofskoffs Taylor. She was from Colleen, 45 years old. She had two daughters and was from Yugoslavia. That's all I could find on her. Um, we have James Walter Welsh, 75 of Waco. He was married. He was retired from U.S. Armed Services after serving during World War II and Sino-Japanese War. And then his wife, Lula Bell, 75, also mm -hmm. of Waco, she was there. All I have was that she was married to James, so they were there together having lunch. And then the last one I have is Iva Juanita Williams, 64, of Temple. She was married and was the president of the Heart of Texas Federal Credit Union. So rest in peace, all of the people that I just Do you listed. see the similarity of the age of those people? Yeah. So we like old people food. Is that what you got? <laughs> That's what that? I got. Well, no, obviously, yeah. but. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It is a cafeteria. It is a cafeteria. But the food's good. The so. food is really good. And, I mean, all the layout on these lubies are all the same. Open. So open. The bathroom, the little alcove. So I have a map. I got, oh, I also got a lot of information from Reddit, too. Thank you, Reddit. Um, so that is the story of the, the 1991 Luby's Massacre. Rest in peace, all of the victims, and I hope the surviving members of the families are working through their pain, and I, I just wish we could get control of this mass shooting situation, but clearly it's just gotten worse since 91. Mm -hmm. So... Well, and that's why, too often. you know, I always felt safe whenever we go out to eat with dad because dad had his CHL at the time. And, you know, you whenever we go to IHOP or wherever, 
you know, he would always sit near an exit, make mm-hmm. sure we have an exit plan. He's like, I'm going to tell you right now, somebody comes in here shooting, I'm not going to be a hero. I'm getting me and mine and we're getting out. One of the surviving women um, was interviewed and she said, I tell my children, close your eyes. Tell me where the exits are. They've oh, been, she's genius. trained them to when they go into a restaurant, they find the exits and she needs them to close her eyes and tell them when there are so that she knows they've memorized them and not just by looking. Genius. Isn't that sad? That's the it world we live in. It is sad. And then now it's not even restaurants. It's movie it's theaters. It's schools. grocery stores. Malls. You could be walking out. It's outside. Mm-hmm. Concert. Yeah. I mean. Whether I, you're inside or outside, it's just. We're not safe anywhere. No. Sorry, this episode's a real downer, but I, I felt like it needed to be covered. And again, the story just, I, I don't really know how. I just, I find it. It just happens. Yeah. It happens. In the words of Mike Boudet, the worst monsters are real. They really are. Yeah. Yeah, it's so sad. And again, it's always about mental illness. There's something it mentally is. unstable and, about him. I mean, they, they did look for a tumor, but he did have some mental disability of some Absolutely, kind. yeah. He had rage. And it was going on for a while. It was going on for a while. And I, I do believe that there is something with his family. I think the thing with his dad triggered him. Because ever before that, they said he was an outgoing guy. People looked up to him. And after that, he was never the same. So I don't know what happened. There's, I don't know, I don't know that he ever talked about it. Maybe that in itself is the problem. Well, and I feel he like... He didn't feel supported either. I feel like our government system takes the worst care of our veterans. And I feel like if you're going to discharge one of your... One of our military men or women because of outbursts or racial slurs or drugs if you if you discharge if you discharge a military personnel for anything that doesn't have to be anything that's not that's related behavioral. to um being injured i feel like in order for them to keep their benefits they should be required to follow up with a therapist oh i totally agree with you that's a great idea. you know yeah. like if we are going to continue to pay to give you TRICARE because you fought in a war and you served for 10 years, you have to see a therapist. Well, you he didn't fight in any wars or anything like that. But no, but he served. But he did serve so and you he served, did have trauma. We, we are now indebted to you as a government to take care of you. Even if they're not responsible for the trauma. Right. In this case, they weren't. You need help because you couldn't perform in the military because of your past trauma. It has affected you to where you cannot perform in the way you should as a military mm-hmm. personnel. So you need to get treatment. You need to get help. And we have the resources to pay for that. So do it. Yep. I mean, I don't know why that they shouldn't do that. But then the other sad part is you look at our cousin, Larry mm-hmm. Joe, who didn't get the treatment he needed. No, they he just asked gave him for drugs. It. They're like, oh, you're depressed? Here's some medication. Oh, you can't sleep? Here's some medication. Mm-hmm. You know, And I get it. They see tons of people every day and they have to get them out the door. But throwing medication at people... Is only going to work for so long. No, do your job. Do the job you're being paid Find, to do. Don't just write a prescription. It's like, it reminds me of like a cartoon. Have you have those cartoons where it shows like a house and there's like so many things going on in the house and it's like find all the abnormalities. That's what I feel like whenever you, That's what that I'm, is the but, picture of how we fix or how we treat mental illness in America is if this is on fire, we'll put a Band-Aid on it. We're not going to cure it, but, like, this, if we can keep the fire in the kitchen, you know, like, then we can keep something from this happening in the living room, right? So, like, you know, those cartoons which shows, like, the house, and, like, this is on fire, and then, like, the sink is on. There's and just chaos. Drowning, it's and just there's chaos, chaos everywhere, but nothing is solved. Mm-hmm. Everything is just Band-Aided. That is how we treat mental illness in America. I agree with you. It's, it's so really frustrating. Sad. It it's is very frustrating. Even, you know, I, I went back and started to work at the doctor's office and we had a young patient who basically in the room was like, I I can't I haven't slept in five days. I'm having a lot of issues. And three hours our office staff spent trying to get this patient a visit to a therapist. And it was the soonest they could be seen was over a month. Oh my god. Is it because they're just so backed up? It it backed up. This as soon as they can be seen. It didn't matter the insurance. We the the patient said I'll pay. So pay. so then that doesn't sound like that. Just sounds like we need more doctors. Well, it doesn't sound like they don't want to see him. They're just busy. Or do they work five days? Do they some work? Some of them work five days a week. Some of them work three days a week. 
in so like a full eight hour day no, or just half not, a day no. here, half a day there. Yeah. So that's why yeah. they're so backed up just because they don't have a full. Well, can you imagine spending 10 hours hearing about other people's problems? Well, if that's the job you sign up for, Agreed. then that's Agreed. the job you sign up. So I don't Agreed. You're get no sympathy for me. Agreed. Sorry. Agreed. If you don't like that profession, then get out of it. So the only other don't half ass it if you don't want to do it. to tell the patient you can go to the ER. Because that's the kind of job you can't half ass. Like if no. you're a doctor or if you're a no. medical professional, if you're a doctor that a, a psychologist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, you can't half-ass anything. No, and these these and doctors, I realize those jobs are stressful, but like that's what you signed up to do. Right, I agree, I agree, and that's some of the feedback that one of the doctors was getting from the colleagues was, you know, I've been in practice for thirty years and it's really wearing on me. I can't do the Retire. ten hours a day that I used to do, so I'm only doing five hours a day, four days a okay, week. Okay, that's fair. And so when you have a bunch of that, it builds up. And then a lot of doctors are only doing televisits. And some of these patients, they can't do a televisit. Certain things you can't televisit. They need to be in person. And they they want to be heard. Can't they you just, be... like, do the six-foot rule? Just set on, on the other corner well, I, of my I, office. Well, you know, they can get a, a televisit, right? Wonderful insurance. They get paid a little bit more. They get paid a little bit more with a televisit. And then... It can be 15 minutes, right? And that patient doesn't have to walk in. You don't have to process them coming in. And you, you can don't still have to... be on your yacht to perform the... Yeah. That's shitty. I shouldn't have said that. I don't know that that's what they're doing. But I'm saying <laughs> the, the televisits have hurt and also hurt the healthcare industry, yeah. in my opinion. Because I feel like I can't touch my patient if they're on the phone, you know? How do I really know what's going on with them, you know? Yeah. There's just a thing you feel when you see them walk and you see them talk and you see... You see their overall demeanor. Well, I think it's it depends on what they're in there for. Like, if it's something that's minor that you can that you can solve with a fifteen minute conversation, then I think that's okay. Oh yeah, I mean, if but you're certain, like, oh, I have a rash. Or certain things have you have to come in for. So I think that should be up to the doctor to say, okay, look, that sounds minor. Let's have a televisit, and if I don't get what I need, then we'll schedule the other. Mm-hmm. And I know that's more expensive for the patient though, because they have to do that and then potentially still come in. But at least you're not you're solving the problem right. and still trying to use these new methods that they've in, that they've instilled or that they've created or whatever. So you're trying to solve it that way, but if it doesn't work, you're going back to old school. Way. Well, and I mean, and it helps tremendously with patients that are not very compliant or have a hard time getting a ride. Yeah. That is, it's very helpful. So in some ways it's helpful. It, but it is, others, but in other ways I feel like... It's being abused, it's, potentially. It's not... It's not ideal for all types of therapy. Yeah. And I, I think I, I think this poor guy never got love and affection from no. his mother. And I do feel like he was crying for help. I, I don't know why I feel that way. I just feel like he tried to sell the guns. I know he had a lot of anger against white women specifically, and he sounded like he was somewhat of a racist. So clearly he has anger management issues and outbursts. Um, but like he tried to sell the guns, nobody would buy them from him. So if he had sold the guns, then what all of those would, would or have was not he have selling happened? them to get better guns? Yeah, I don't know. And that's the thing is like so, so he wouldn't have. Maybe he was trying to sell two to buy one really big one, I, so he wouldn't have to use two. I don't know. I, yeah, I it just know. it's it's crazy. So I feel bad. I feel a little bad for him, but I guess in the end he didn't want to have to answer to what he did, so he just or maybe he just knew that it was never going to be normal for him. And he just wanted and out. And he was tired of I'm hurting. sure that was his plan all along. I don't think that was the last Well, that's thing. why he wrote it to his sister. Yep. yep. I think he was maybe hoping the cops would kill him. Yep. And when they when missed they, and they, they couldn't get him, then he just did, took care I'll of just, himself. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. All right. So that's the story of the Luby's Massacre. Well, rest right. in peace. Yep. All of them. All of them. And um, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. All right. So thank you guys for supporting us listening and sharing and uploading and subscribing and liking and all of that we love you guys and until next time all right bye y'all bye y'all